Hello and welcome to Beyond the Classroom, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories of community college students, mentors, faculty, and staff. Each episode, we will have on a unique guest who will tell us about their story and how the community college experience has played into it. I'm your host, Caden Radford, and today on the show, we have the lovely Terry Phillips, who is the program coordinator of Legacy, a program for men of color at Davidson Davy Community College. Thanks so much for being here. Let's jump into it. Glad to be here. To start off, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Okay, so a little bit of personal information. Uh, I'm one of number of 12 children. Uh, I'm number 11 in that group of Phillips siblings. Uh, I am the first and only to go to college. Uh, and I have, so I earned an undergraduate degree in business administration from Winston-Salem State University. Uh, I later went back and got my master's degree in uh, strategic leadership for, from Mountain State University in Be- Beckley, West Virginia. Uh, and then after leaving corporate, I went to the community college and earned two degrees uh, in uh, education and physical physical education and health education. Um, my current role at Davidson County Community College is um, a role of a coordinator for a program called Legacy Minority Male, uh, where we focus on uh, all of men of color on our campus uh, of all races uh, that are non-white uh, students. While I'm here, from eight to five, I focus on men of color and I focus on equity, diversity, and inclusion. And so that's um, what I do here at the college is trying to really bring resources for those men of color um, and then to try to educate our community on the needs of the the men of color, as well as uh, to really look at and evaluate what we're doing to make sure that we are equitable in how we uh, both uh, respond to those students in the classroom as well as to what they need while they're here on campus. Yeah, I think it's incredibly important work to, to focus on where those barriers are and, and getting those needs met. And it's great work that you do. And you mentioned you're one of very many children. <laughs> and uh, I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about uh, sort of early life, sort of um, a memory of when educational equity came up and uh, especially being one of the only ones to go to college, like how that has affected you. Okay, so let me give you a little bit of backdrop. Um, My mother passed away uh, when I was 18 months old. So my youngest brother uh, was six months old and I was of course 18 months old. My father uh, was a a dropout. He dropped out in third grade. Um, prior to meeting my mom and marrying my mom. Um, and they once, but after they met, um, there was a combination of her children and his uh, that uh, uh, comprised the blended family. And then after their marriage, uh, five additional children w- were uh, born, including myself. Um, so no one had an education. My mother uh, uh, was working in hosiery uh, where she actually died at work on a Tuesday morning of a massive heart attack. Uh, and, and, and so my father was the sole provider of these children. 
Um, so we went through, of course, all of us uh, went through grade school and high school. Um, there were a few that dropped out in high school, uh, uh, but I had the influence of the, the local church. And my Sunday school teacher was really the driver for me going to college. Uh, she told me I could go. I had no really uh, prior knowledge, prior influence from anyone else. Um, I ended up uh, visiting several colleges during my junior and senior year in high school. Um, uh, your uh, alma mater, where you're at now, I remember visiting it for about three or four days, uh, Chapel Hill, NC State, a uh, few other colleges. Uh, I, and then I don't know, I don't remember how I ended up on the campus of Winston-Salem State. But Winston-Salem State was an absolute game changer for me um, for a number of reasons, but the primary reason uh, why it had such an impact was it was the first experience I had where people of color were the majority. I came from a rural community uh, in my high school graduation class in number of 126. There were uh, a little over a dozen uh, students of color, uh, Black, uh, Asian, and uh, Hispanics, uh, but I was the only one who graduated and went up to college. So Winston-Salem State really changed my life. Uh, I was able to be in a city uh, where you could see prominent people of color uh, working in corporate America, working in banking. Um, so it changed my whole outlook on what I had the capacity to do and be. Uh, so after the four years, uh, at Winston-Salem State, which were the best four years of my young adult life. Uh, I went into banking. After that, um, um, there was uh, uh, downsizing and um, there was organizational changes. And so I opted uh, to leave the company, went into nonprofit and whoa, I really found my niche. I was in the classroom and I uh, took a job uh, working for a local nonprofit, working as a uh, coordinator for development. Uh, I think I was in that position maybe two months. They promoted me to director and I was directing programs throughout Catawba County Schools. I had an absolutely phenomenal time. So that opened my experience up to different cultures. So I started working with the Hmong Mon community, started working with the uh, Hispanic community. Uh, I was working in the classrooms. Um, it was life-changing. And so um, after doing those programs for about two years, I went back to school and got my master's. I was like, I need to get my master's degree um, so that I can take this further. Uh, before the master's, I went ahead and completed the community college experience, and I was very active. Uh, I was not, I was non-traditional, so, you know, I, I wasn't shy on campus. I was meeting adults because I was an adult, uh, <laughs> and so I led a couple of organizations there and then went into the master's program. Right after the master's program, I uh, picked up a pen and started writing. Uh, and I, I was in South Carolina writing my first book when I got a call from Winston-Salem State. And I came back to North Carolina uh, and I worked there for almost five years. 
Uh, and I was working in enrollment management. So I was in the high schools again, which was my like my, like my highlight. I was recruiting students. I was talking to parents uh, about education and how it had impacted my life. I went from, you know, this, this small rural community to being exposed to all the different cultures, how academics had really changed my life. And so it was easy to recruit, <laughs> I, you know, because I was telling my story over and over and over again. Uh, and it was impacting parents. It was helping parents who were fearful and afraid of, who were at that time, I was a first gen, right? That was 1987. We're in 2000 and what, 20? And we're still dealing with first gen. So there is this still need, right? Because we still have, you know, all of these families in America who have yet to have their first in their family to go to college. Uh, so I did that for almost five years, took a break to finish writing, published two books, and then got a call from Davidson uh, to really help this population. So the passion has just continued, right? And the need, because the need is still present, that you still have families who do not know how uh, to prepare for college. So that's where the academic coaching came from. I started that through my own nonprofit called College Prep Buddies. Uh, then with the two books that I published, uh, the title, The Third Dig, uh, Learning What Works. So it talks about success strategies. Uh, so I was using this in the community now to help educate parents and students to prepare for college. So I was in the high schools at this point, uh, evaluating transcripts and telling the students, this is the, these are the courses you need. Um, this is what, these are the resources you need in order to prepare for your SAT or your ACT. And so coming into this seat that I'm in currently, uh, it was just a natural transition. Uh, to now, what do I do for the male students? Because we know that those numbers are smaller than any population group. And when we look at men of color, we definitely, I just read an article this morning from uh, Ed NC, where they were talking about uh, men of color, particularly through this pandemic, those numbers are diminishing. And so, I have a responsibility uh, through the Minority Male uh, Success Initiative um, through the community college system uh, to engage these men of color, find out what's working, what's not working, and then hopefully add to their arsenal so that they can be successful while they're on the community college and hopefully graduate and or transfer to a four-year institution to complete the degree. That was a long answer, but that's my answer of my response. It's a great answer. It deserved a long spiel. Yeah. Uh, and throughout your journey, it seems that mentorship has really been a theme that has um, found its way in all parts of your life, including what you're doing now as a mentor for Absolutely. these men. Uh, I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, your role as a mentor and just um, some of the, the situations that you've seen, maybe some of the barriers that you've faced and you've come across uh, for some of these men that are trying to get their degrees? Uh, so let me say, so let me see if I can start the conversation here. What I've found out since being here, I've been in this role a little over a year now. And what I found is that the whole first gen 
you know, co concept, theme, idea, uh, not only speaks of getting here, but knowing what to do once you get here. And so if you're first gen, your expectations could be all over the board, right? So that's why you need mentors, uh, because oftentimes you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so, uh, you know, sometimes I can get on my I can get on my pulpit, bully pulpit and talk a lot about a C is unacceptable when you have all of these resources. So you understand the external factors, you know, that many face, um, whether it be financial, whether it be food, whether it be housing, all of the. So you're not ne negating any of that. Those are real issues. But, but utilizing your resources on your campus is essential to your success. And that's why you need a mentor to look at your success or the lack of success and say, you can do better and this is how. So that's what I do is, mm -mm, why did you get a C in this course? when you have like the learning center here on our campus or you have a tutors on our campus or you're having food insecurities? Well, we have a food bank here, right? So eliminating those barriers are key um, to the success of the students. And so when we deal with the externals, that's one thing. The academics is like where I really, you know, I'm, it's, it really grabs me because if you're going to, one, pay for the class, uh, you're going to pay for it one way or the other, whether it's through out of your pocket or whether it's through FAFSA, right? If, if there's a loan associated, it's not free. So you're going to have to pay it back. So if you're going to spend the money, get make the grade. I have two college students in my home. They hear this all the time. Bringing home a B or C or D is just makes no sense. It just, I mean, you know, you know, there are courses that are more challenging. And so we, we will factor that in the conversation. But the fact of the matter is, while you're here, you really need to get the bang for your buck. So what I found out here at Davidson County Community College, then enrolling is not, you know, it may be an issue, it may be a struggle, but once you get over that, it is making the grade. And every student should want to be an honor student. Every student, I'm, every student should want uh, to be seen as a scholar. Every student should want to, 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 to get that piece of paper uh, and to have that as your step into a better opportunity and a better way of life. And so that's the role I believe of a mentor. My role here is to provide one-on-one -on -one coaching directly from me, my office, uh, to connect you to advising, to make sure that you are meeting with your advisor, talking to your advisor. Uh, I do. Uh, if you're having issues in a course, I will reach out to your instructor. I will call. No, let me call. I will email. Uh, but I will tell you, do not wait until your final week and reach out to me. So we do, we proactive. Uh, we'll do it together. Um, um, I, I, I have provided in the 12 months I've been here, um, we've taken tours of colleges. Uh, we have, you know, I have this one student right now. I called him yesterday. He texted me back. He didn't call me. I'm going to call him back again. He wants to attend college in the fall uh, in D.C. 
And I, I told him the application opens now. So we need to do everything in October. It's December. So, you know, you stay at it, stay at it, stay at it. Why? Because the longer you delay, the more difficult it becomes to make that connection and achieve it. So that's the role of an advisor. I mean, I could give you like the next steps. We have mentors here. So we have a mentor coalition. So every man of color that works on our campus has bought into making sure that they are present, uh, that they have their assigned group of uh, men's male uh, student, men of color students, that they are, you know, they are the go-to person. Um, we don't have uh, uh, but one faculty member that's a man of color, uh, but that person is involved in that process. And then we have provide shadowing opportunities within the community so that you can go out and see uh, what it's like to be uh, this individual, you know, in a day of a professional work. So it's all of these that you're creating tiers, right? So that they're not just saying, I want a degree in business, but I have no idea, you know, go sit behind, go sit with someone who, who's working in an office setting, who is running their own business. And, you know, I, I believe the entrepreneurial route is really a, a tangible achievement. Uh, so now, how do I connect you with someone who is who launched a new business, who looks like you, and who is having to go to work from eight to five, including myself, and you're financing the things that you want to do, right? Because you don't always want to go get a loan and then you'd be in debt for the next five, 10 years trying to get your business off. So we connect those students to those resources outside the community too. So we have both on the campus and outside of the campus for those students to be able to connect with men of color that look like them uh, in order to aspire them. And so we're reaching out to, to the Latin community because we need uh, more uh, Latino representatives for our men of color here uh, so that they can see that I believe you need to see people who look like you. I, I believe you can learn from anyone, but I also believe that there is a connection with likeness and similarities. And so sometimes you have to see yourself in other people who look like you in order to provide that extra boost as well. Yeah, absolutely. It, can, it definitely makes a difference whether who yeah. you're seeing in the classroom and who you're seeing that's creating the businesses. It's the truth. Um, yeah. It sounds like you have an awesome program. Uh, and I was just wondering if you could give a piece of advice to another community college that was looking to make a similar program, what would you say? I. <laughs> As you can hear, I talk a lot. So you have to talk, right? You cannot do this and not talk. And you cannot do it and be afraid to connect. So in my first month here at Davidson, I met with everybody I could meet with, <laughs> you know? Uh, and they were like, well, what are we meeting about? I just need to talk. I need to, and what it was, I was trying to figure out what you do. What do you do? What do you do, right? So, oh, so you teach these courses can I come to the class, right? Or like right now, our, our, our most recent connection, and we made one early on, but our most recent connection that was really a substantial meeting was with our transition center. So those students there, I need to come down, right? 
although you're not in curriculum courses, you need to see me. I need to know your name. I need to put my hands on your shoulder when we're no longer are, you know, doing virtual. I need to be there so that when you transition, hey, you already know Mr. Phillips is going to help me, right? Uh, with advising, I'm sitting with all the advisors uh, with orientation. Uh, when they provide orientation, you know, the little bit of slides that says, Hey, this is legacy. That's not enough. No, I'm going to show up. Hey, Johnny, I'm going to show up, right? Because again, you need to see a person. And oftentimes seeing that person has a greater impact than a slide or reading it in a brochure. So uh, those are the things that I have done. And then operating, work with the equity. Work with your equity team uh, because you're if you're working with this marginalized group of people, right? You need to be sitting at the table talking about their needs. Like, you know, I never, I don't know who's gonna hear this, but I'm saying I never seen so many people who sat on the equity committee who did not know how to connect with brown and black people. So how are you helping them if you don't understand their language? You don't understand their experiences. And so, and so having those conversations, and it took me months. It, it took me months to just speak up because I'm sitting in these meetings and they're talking and I am sitting there like, what are they talking about? I mean, like you're doing what? And so when I finally, when I finally, because I mean, it, it, sometimes it can be, it can be very intimidating, right? Sitting with these people, and I'm the new face of the, you know, on campus. And so, you know, I, I have to tell myself, I was told by a friend, you're 10, and 10 sometimes can just be too abrasive, too aggressive. So I have to dial back, right? Okay, today I'm gonna have to be a five. And it just drives me crazy. But finally, when I opened my mouth and was like, I'm turning up to 10. I realized that a lot, and, and I had one, one professional say, you know, Terry, all I know is what I read. And that's kind of an issue uh, because students know when you're talking from theory or a textbook versus when you're talking from true desire to really see you achieve, true desire to, to connect, right? And so, and students know how to weed through all of that. And so um, that's been my biggest thing. And I would, sh would share that at, if you're not already a part of those, uh, those circles, get in those circles uh, and then talk for the students that you're representing. Uh, because sometimes your voice will be the voice that will cause the change. And so um, that's what I would say. Talk, talk, talk. Don't stop talking. Uh, don't be afraid to talk. And don't be afraid to go outside of what has been provided for you. I think oftentimes the parameters are too narrow. And sometimes we do things because we know there's a need, but we don't really have an interest or an investment in to seeing those needs happen. So you have to have people who really, like people who've been through it. I know what it's like to be the first to go to college, right? And I know what it's like to be in a classroom where I was the only person of color. And that's 
intimidating, threatening. It's terrifying, right? And so what happens when you become a professional? It really doesn't change. You just have a degree. And so you have to be in those in those spaces, and I found that out here at Davidson, that you're sitting talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and folk are really terrified. And so I've had to say, say black, say Latino, say, you know, say white. Why are you stuttering with that language? If we're gonna ever meet the needs, you're gonna have to be courageous enough to just say it, black people. You know, I hate marginalized, get, get rid of Hispanics. Let's talk, the Hispanic community is having this issue. The Asian community is having this issue. African-American community is having this issue. And this is what we are here for. We're here to address those issues. Sometimes just saying people of color makes it easy. So that's what I offer. Uh, and that's what I bring, you know, and it took me, like I said, it took me months. I was like, I cannot say this anymore. As a matter of fact, I said it like this, I was like, how many more times am I going to come to this meeting and there's an elephant over here and we're not going to talk about it? They said, what are you talking about? I said, come on, y'all afraid to say Black people. <laughs> You're afraid to say Hispanics, but you have programs for them? Say Black, say it. You know? <laughs> and that's my personality. Just say Black people. Because that's what I'm here for. I'm here. So there's the other piece to it. And, and I'll close my response to this. The other piece to it is, how do I, because that's the piece that I'm struggling with even now, how do you remove the stigma associated with specialized programs? Because sometimes it's not honorable, right? It's like, so is something wrong with me? So how do I find a way to provide this program without isolating you in a way to say you have this need? And I think oftentimes that is being able to say what I just said, you know? Um, so for me, I'm having to get stuff translated right now because uh, if it's for Hispanics, it needs to be right in Spanish, right? Who may struggle with English. So make it for, make it for them, brand it for those groups. Uh, so that's the thing. And that's where we are with the program today is how do we, how do we make it friendly and remove the, st the stigma associated, right? So we, we've been called a minority male. Uh, my suggestion is to call it just the men of color. And then we take baby steps to figure out better ways to brand it, to craft it so that it's more welcoming. So that I'm not coming to the program like, oh, I have a special uh, need that you want to address, no. There is a there, there 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 is this you know global issue with education, and we're trying to make it more unified and more inclusive for everyone. Yeah, it's so important to have passionate people in the spaces and speaking the truth. And thank you so much for doing that here today. Um, wonderful to have you on the show, and wonderful to have your voice. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm glad to be a part. Thank you. Well, that's all for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to Beyond the Classroom, and be sure to subscribe if you want to hear more stories, and leave a comment if you enjoyed today's episode. For more updates as the episodes come out, follow Awake58 on Twitter at Awake58NC. Beyond the Classroom is made by me, Caden Radford. Now I'd like to thank Jim Hall for the song Trapped in the Upside Down from the Free Music Archive, 
and a big thanks to the NC team for supporting this project. See you next time.